Easter, like I shared at the very beginning of, of service, sometimes as pastors, you know, we got Easter and then we have Christmas. Those are the two, kind of the two biggies that, that church calendars can revolve around. And sometimes we get consumed with, what are we going to do? It's Easter. It's Easter. It's Easter. And, and we're going to invite new people and family will be in town and friends might come. And, and sometimes pastors, we get really enthused about Easter and, and, and then, you know, there's so much to share and so much we want to just put there for to maximize our time together. And yet, as, as I was praying about our time this morning, this year we, we're, we're kind of going to go the other way. And, and there's going to be a simplicity to what we, what we share and what we hear from the Word this morning because my heart for all of us this morning is that the resurrection and, and what God says to you this morning is going to be a beginning. See, oftentimes we come to church on Easter and we, we get dressed and, and we go and we sit through. And then when the service is done, we think Easter is done. And then we go back about our normal business and we say, how was service? How was the production? How was that? And, and yet we sort of compartmentalize, well, that was Easter. And now that church is over, Easter's over, right? And, and this morning I, I want to kind of uh, flip that a little bit and, and tr- challenge all of us that what God says to you this morning is a beginning. That as you take what you hear and what's written and as you process it, not just here, but from here to here, when you go home and tonight and tomorrow, it's just the beginning of God stirring and doing things in your life. Because you see there in the sermon notes, the title is, Does the Resurrection Matter? How many would say, Does the Resurrection? Yes? Right? Okay, and then if you notice, Tomorrow? Does the resurrection matter tomorrow when we, when we go to school, when we go to work, when we have to get the kids to and from and, and we have to deal with customers and, you know, just the responsibilities of life? We're here on, on, on Sunday morning. It's Easter. We're celebrating through song and fellowship. But when we get up tomorrow, does the resurrection still matter? And... and the beginning of this process, and, and what I want to encourage you, is, is just these questions that I put on your sermon notes there. Uh, and the first one is, if the resurrection is going to matter tomorrow, we have to be willing to ask some questions that are beyond the sort of superficial level that many of us are just accustomed to. See, the hard part about Easter and even churchdom in general is many of us have a sitcom mentality. And what I mean by that is if you watch TV and generally, let's say a 30 minute sitcom, right? There's an opener. There's some conflict, conflict, conflict. And by minute 29, what has happened? It's all resolved. Everything got cleaned up. People who were mad are friends. And, you know, and we sort of get this idea that that life is like a 30 minute sitcom. We start and then by the end of it, it has to be cleaned up really quick. By the end of the show. And sometimes as pastors, we get in that trap too. At the end of a message, I have to clean it all up. And I have to wrap it all up. And really, today, these questions are designed to do the opposite. They're designed to be open-ended. Because they're life questions with eternal implications. And implications for tomorrow morning. 
So the first one is, do I believe the resurrection actually happened? Actually happened. I don't know if many of you saw this. In the Wisconsin Capitol, an atheist group hung a banner this week. And it says this. This is on the banner. Nobody died for our... The big banner, like the one in front of the hospital. Nobody died for our sins. Jesus Christ is a myth. That's hanging in the Wisconsin Capitol. Nobody died for our sins. Jesus Christ is a myth. And so, you know, as a believer, you go, huh. Because many would believe... That the resurrection is myth, legend, superstition, fairy tale, good for the little ones in the other building. You've got to answer this question. Do I believe the resurrection actually happened in the timeline of Earth's history? See, you have to, you have to look, look at 1 Corinthians 15, right? Verse 14. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? useless and so is your what faith you realize that you have to answer this question because the apostle paul is saying hey guys in the timeline of earth's history if a if any if an actual event called the resurrection did not happen you all sitting here in church today you're just a bunch of fools let's go home let's go do easter egg hunts let's just go do the bunny thing because this is useless you have to answer that question. In the, in the timeline of Earth's history, our faith is based on a historical event. It's not myth. It's not, super, it's not religiosity. It is a historical event that had to have happened in the Earth's timeline for us to be legit this morning. See, many of you know that I was on my way to law school and I was actually finishing up my, uh, I finished up my first year going to my second year of law school when God called me into ministry. So I'm kind of one of them thinker types. I don't just take things on face value. So I, str- you know, I worked through this. I struggled through this resurrection thing. You mean, you Christians, and I wasn't a believer at the time, you Christians believe and your whole faith is built on a historical event? Yes. Not just opinion, not just emotion, not just going to church, not just religiosity. You, you guys say if the resurrection didn't happen, it's a house of cards and it crumbles? Yes. So we all need to settle this issue. You do. Did the resurrection actually happen in the timeline of Earth's history? There's a law of logic, okay? Step out into the law of logic, reasoning, rationality, truth. And it's there. It says there's a law of non-contradiction. This is foundational to the law of logic, okay, to make sense of the world. It says this. Something cannot both be true and not true at the same time. And in the same context. See, the law of non-contradiction. If you're going to make sense of your world and reasoning and rationality, there's a law called the law of non-contradiction. So what that means for us today is either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. Those are your choices. The law of non-contradiction says you can't have them both sit there and be equally acceptable. In our postmodern, tolerant, relativistic worldview, they want it to sit there. The law of non-contradiction, how many of us, we live, the, it's just is or it isn't. They can't both be true. So as we sit here, you have to answer that question. And as you leave here, you may still have to answer that question, right? I can give you apologetics, and I've done that in an Easter messages past. Do you? Do I really believe? 
in the timeline of Earth's history that this historical event, the resurrection, actually happened. And there's only two choices. It did or it didn't. You have to pick one. The law of non-contradiction says they cannot both sit. One's right and one's wrong. Okay? So, that's the first question. Second question. Am I at peace with God? Have I been justified through faith in Jesus? Before I do that, let me share this with you. Uh, There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was the royal professor of law at Harvard University. And he decided to look at the resurrection as a historical fact based on historical documents, what they call the legal historical method, what you see in courts, testimony, written evidence and all that. So Dr. Simon Greenleaf, the royal professor of law at Harvard University, said this. Well, this is what he said. He he examined the value of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to ascertain the truth. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University. He said, let me look at this resurrection based on court, how we would do it in courts. Boom. Legit. I share that with you in an encouragement. As a believer, you don't have to be afraid. The evidence will, the evidence will speak for itself. Amen? Right? So the second question, am I at peace with God? Have I been justified through faith in Jesus? Turn to Romans. You're going to turn one book to the left. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, 25, and then into verse 1, 5, 1, says this. Romans 4, 25. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How many of you have ever heard the gospel presented and someone says to you, hey, Jesus died for you? How many of you have ever heard, hey, Jesus died for you? Right? In my history in ministry and even as a believer, as I look back, I go, you know what? Yes, Jesus died for us. And we can present that. Jesus died for you. But we often neglect the other side. You need to always say, hey, Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. Or as Bill said this morning, hey, Jesus died and rose from the dead for you. See, if you look at verse 25, and was raised to life for who? Our justification. Why is this important? See, the Romans had crucified thousands of people. Jesus wasn't the only person ever crucified. And many people were crucified for very good causes. Even very sincere believers in their cause. They were crucified. What sets Jesus apart from all the thousands that were crucified, was what? He's the only one that rose. And what that verse is saying in verse 25 and in the 5, when he says this, the way you know that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, right? How many have heard Jesus sacrifice himself on the cross, right? He's our sacrificial lamb, very familiar. And you might ask, well, how do you know that, how do you know that really paid the price? How do you know that was legit? Am I sure that my price was paid? How you know that God accepted Jesus' payment on the cross 
is the resurrection. That's how you know that what Jesus did for you, Good Friday, that's why Good Friday and Easter go together. How do you know your debt was paid? He's the only one that rose from the dead. And when you put your faith in him, we studied this a few, a few months ago, you're justified, which means declared what? Not guilty, fully righteous. That's radical. You are declared not guilty, then you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because Jesus is alive. God can impart his righteousness, his living righteousness to who? You and me. That's awesome. See, the two things that Christianity, that sets Christianity apart from all the cults and world religions is this. Resurrection and grace. Jesus is the only one that ever rose from the dead. And God's grace, unmerited favor. You are saved by faith. It's not anything you do. You just receive that gift. Amen? So the second question as we, as we sort of open up this, am I at peace with God? When you wake up in the morning, are you at peace with God? Have you been justified through faith in Jesus? Right? And then the third question, am I appropriating God's supernatural power to live a new life? Look at Romans 6, 4, two chapters over. It says, we were therefore ba- buried with him through baptism into death. 6, 4. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? A what kind of life? New. New. Here's the crazy thing. If you put your faith in Jesus, it's not about re- rehabilitation. Okay? It's not about getting reformed. It's not about being re-educated. You are, according to 2 Corinthians, a brand spanking new what? Creation. You've never existed before. People think that Christianity, I'm coming to Christ, and I just got to clean up my life. I'm just going to be better than I was. No, no, no. You come, and in the power of the risen Christ, that Holy Spirit indwelling you, you become a new creation, and you're called to live a new life, one that's never existed before. That's why when you wake up every morning, you're like, Lord, thank you that today, even though in my schedule it looks just like yesterday, today can be new in quality. I can have a new attitude. I can have new things come out of my mouth. I can have new thoughts. I can handle my money different. I can say no to sin. Every day in Christ can be new. Why? Because of the resurrection. Isn't that awesome? See, we tend to think of the resurrection, a Good Friday and Easter, as something that happened in history, and that's true. But the power of the resurrection is that, uh, hmm, it's today. The same power through the indwelling Holy Spirit is available to who? Thank you, right? Me. If you're a believer, it's me. The question is, are you appropriating it? You wake up every morning and say, oh, man, thanks, God, that I have everything I need today for life and godliness. Thank you very much. Just show me how to use it. Not awesome. Versus, Lord, it's another rough day. I'm going to do my best. I hope I don't blow it too bad. One is about me doing my best. The other is about grace and the power of the resurrection. Lord of myself, I can do nothing. If it's up to me, I'm not going to like that person again. If it's up to me, 
Someone cuts me off on the road. Woo, right? But if it's not up to me and it's the power of God in me and through the power of the resurrection and I can live a new life today, you might just say at the end of the day, Lord, thanks to today, I was more patient. That person didn't bug me. Okay, I wasn't so bad when I got cut off. I just honked a little. You know, I mean, you know, we're human, right? But it's, it's baby steps, amen? It's baby steps in the power of the Holy Spirit. So do you believe it? Are you at peace? Have you received that gift of grace? Are you appropriating it? Lord, today, I just want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want new life. I want to be new, right? And you see there, there's the, from the Christian Research Institute, the sort of a, an apologetic for the resurrection. It's called the greatest feat in history. Fatal torment. Jesus was really dead. Empty tomb. The tomb was really empty. Appearances. He, he, appealed, he appeared to uh, Peter, then the 12, then 500 at the same time, right? And then transformed lives. See, after Jesus was crucified, his boys, they were in the room and they were scared. They thought they were next. They were terrified. Jesus says, boop. He appears. And it was a resurrection that transformed them from cowards to courageous and ultimately given their life because they knew he had what? Risen from the dead. And Jesus still transforms lives today. And I've asked Robert Hodge, many of you have gotten to know Robert, ask Robert to come and share his story with you. It's a really a testimony of the resurrection power and God's transforming ability even today. Come on up, Robert. Well, thank you, and uh, what a glorious day it is to know that Jesus is alive and that I can share with you how I found Jesus and he's alive in me. And uh, his power in my life and his grace to me is just amazing. I look at it and I think, wow, God. I look back, just turned 70, and I look back to those years and I think, whoa, Lord, you have been so gracious in my life. I was a young kid at 15 when I accepted the Lord. I I realized then with my Christian friends that they were talking about some other uh, reality that I didn't know about. They shared how Jesus uh, forgave their sin and he was a real person to them and that he had come into their life and that they had been changed and that they knew him. They actually knew him. It was a personal relationship they had. I didn't have that. And as I heard that and from a few Sunday school uh, times, I could remember a few things about God and I realized uh, God showed me at that point that I was totally in need of forgiveness of my sin. And he showed me how ugly my life really looked in his sight, how selfish I was, how conniving at times, and how, how I would put down my brothers and how, how I would treat my mom. And my, my home life was not that great. My folks had divorced, and I knew how I had just uh, not added to the, the home life by my actions and behavior. And Jesus became a, a real person that afternoon when I accepted the Lord when I was 15. And I could see the cross and I could see Jesus on the cross. And as I looked, it was almost like I, I had eye contact with Jesus. And he could see through me to see who I was. And I, by the Holy Spirit, could see for the first time how much I needed to be forgiven. And that Jesus was the one who was paying my price on the cross. And as he looked at me and my eyes met his, that was my payment for my sin and that Jesus would forgive me if I would come to him and accept him and ask him to forgive me for my sin. And I remember the glorious 
joy of feeling the relief of the guilt and the shame of my past sins. And I woke up the next morning and life was, I, it was new, it was different. I could tell. I could tell that within me there was something new. Even the, the, the mountains where I lived, I lived out in the desert and they, they looked beautiful. Beauty that I had not seen before because I was looking from a soul and a, an inner uh, being that was free from the guilt and sin and the inward uh, emotions that had trapped me. And so I just was thankful to God for the grace that I began with in getting to know him. I really wanted to serve the Lord, and I, I went to a couple of good churches. And I want to thank Pastor Vicki and the leadership team here for emphasizing God's grace and the Holy Spirit that we've been learning about. Because that grace now has expanded in my own understanding, so it's just so big. And there were just places where I even didn't think about how wonderful grace was to me and how in my journey after I became a Christian grace plays even a bigger part to come in and to nurture us and to lift us up and to help us and to do what we can't do ourselves and so the second phase of my graceful life if you want to call it that was after uh, I got married and I married a, a Christian a woman that loved Jesus and I'll, I'll just say young man if you're here today and looking for a good woman to marry, marry one who loves Jesus. And uh, that was the second best decision I ever made, was when I picked the wife that I did. Because she loved Jesus more than anything else. And that helped me so much in my struggles, because I, I didn't come from a Christian home. And after I got married, I realized there were some things in my life that needed some attention. And I became a pastor. And yet, I began to realize that I was really broken inside. From my earlier childhood, there was this uh, lack of fathering because my folks had divorced. There was an emptiness and a void there that worked out, and I didn't feel equal to other men. I felt inferior often at times. And I struggled to be the man God wanted me to be. I wanted to be so much, and I tried to put on the mask and the front to see you know, look at me, and I, I, I've got it together. And I prayed, and I struggled with that. Even before I talked to my wife about it, I prayed. says, Lord, Jesus, I need your help. Change me. Change me, Lord. I need your grace and mercy. And I struggled for several years in, this, in, this, in these areas. And, and different temptations and all the things that, that come in our brokenness from our childhood, perhaps, or from what we didn't get that we needed when we were kids and needed to be nurtured. And I struggled. And you know, at, at one point after several years, I realized, God, you're not answering my prayer because, you know, I wanted Jesus to fix me. So without me telling anybody else, without me talking to my wife, because that would be a little difficult to do. You know, I'm really not the guy you think I am or I need some help here. And the church that I was pastoring, I finally had to tell them also, Listen, I'm struggling in this area. And I prayed, and God said, well, you know, you're not praying the right prayer here. You're trying to ask God to fix you so that you can all be fixed, and no one will know, and you can just go on your way, think, making everybody think everything's all right. I needed God's grace. I needed Jesus to come minister and heal me inside. But I needed the church I needed God's church to come around me and to help me in this area. They could minister grace to me. And finally I realized and I opened my heart 
to letting the church be the church. Beloved, you are the church and you have opportunity. God has gifted you to minister grace to others in the church so that they can be nurtured in ways that they need help and prayed for and, and, and blessed. Isn't it glorious? And I found a, a group of men who actually came around me and they nurtured me and they kind of fathered me because I hadn't been fathered. Jesus used them to bring the love of God the Father in a real way into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your power, for coming into my heart and needs and my hurts and my uh, uh, brokenness and to heal me and to give me what I needed. Oh, it took a lot of time. These things don't work out like we want them to. It's not like the present day, just, you know, instant gratification. It's just like we have to live through life. But this is the way Jesus wants to become more and more real to us in our life. He wants to become more and more the glorious, loving Savior that he is. Thank you, Jesus. And so as I struggled through those areas, and, and, uh, I, and then I had a son. I had two daughters, and I had a son. I said, Lord, how am I ever going to father a son when I don't even know what it was to be fathered? And I had Jesus help me through that. God's grace through his church, through his people. Don't neglect what the church can do. And don't neglect what you can do as part of the church. So bless the Lord. He gave me the grace that I needed. Thank you, Jesus. And now I'm sort of on the finishing side of my journey. Uh, I need grace for that too, don't I? And you know, I'm still tempted at times in things from the past. And I know that my journey is still vulnerable. That I'm just maybe two or three uh, bad choices away from falling into old sinful habits or old ways that I don't want to go in. And I need Jesus' grace in my life for that. And being 70 now, you'd say I'm over the hill, but no, I'm still uh, climbing. I'm still climbing. I'm, I'm going on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Lord, keep me on pressing on higher ground. And I want to just close with these, these verses in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And maybe I can dramatize it a little bit. This is what Peter says. He says, Now all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. And now may the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, make you perfect, establish strength, and settle you, to whom be glory and dominion, both now and 
evermore. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that as we celebrate the risen Christ Jesus this morning, we hear a living testimony that You are alive and well and that You continue to transform lives as we humble ourselves, as we open ourselves to You first and then open ourselves to brothers and sisters in Christ who can nurture us, as Robert said who can show Your grace and Your love to us. Thank You so much. And as we prepare now to take communion, Father, we we have heard this morning the questions that, that we need to ponder at the very core of our being. Do we believe in the resurrection? Are we at peace with You? Do we appropriate daily the supernatural power available to us? And if you are here this morning and you have never received the gift of salvation, if you're not sure you're at peace with God, if you're not sure that you've been declared not guilty, fully righteous, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that in your heart, you would simply speak to God and say, Lord, this morning... In the best way I know how. I may not know everything, but in the best way I know how, I am putting my faith on Jesus alone for salvation. I'm believing that He he died on the cross, and I'm believing that His penalty and His payment was accepted because you raised Him from the dead. And so in the best way I know how this morning, I am believing on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. And if that is the prayer of your heart, then I I encourage you, please partake of communion with us as we hold the elements symbolic of Jesus' blood and body. Symbolic of His love. 